If you have your Bibles, uh, please open them to John 16, verse 33. And I'm going to look at that verse for just a second. This, uh, this, uh, I guess it's afternoon now. Uh, and then I'm going to look at two other verses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 a bit later. If you don't have a Bible, I think uh, there should be a pew Bible close to you. So take up that Bible and follow along as we look at those uh, verses just for a few moments uh, today. Claire and family, I want you to know it's an honor for me to be with you at this time. You know, I said to someone, I don't recall who it was when we coming in this morning, we've got to stop meeting like this. And I guess, some, you know, we will stop meeting like this one day in heaven. You know, there are people in this room who, in their own experience, know the grief that you're experiencing today. They love you. Many have reached out to you and... You will feel that surrounding love, I'm sure, not only today, but for many days ahead. You know, and even as we celebrate Jim's life today, and we take joy in that, obviously looking at these pictures, it was a, it was a wonderful life. It was a, it's a remarkable life. And even as we do that, as Pastor Steve said, we know this is still hard. There's, uh, there's sadness. It's hard for a lot of reasons. Uh, For one thing, I think it was mentioned earlier, Jim's death was pretty much unexpected. Took us by surprise. Uh, He wasn't all that old, you know. He's about two months younger than me. (laughs) And I count that as young. Uh, So we have a number of questions. Questions that we always have when a when a loved one dies, for example, why did this happen right now? Here's Claire. She's still banged up from a car accident. She's still recovering. She's, she's still vulnerable. You know, at times like these, questions come up that I can't always answer. Pastor Steve can't answer. And you've brought some of those questions with you here today. You know, and different people handle these kinds of circumstances in different ways. Uh, Sometimes people just try to push God out of the circumstances like this. You know, where is God in all this, we ask? Surely he can't approve of this, particularly, you know, at this time. But you see, that's the wrong question. The right question we should be asking is, is, does God use things that he doesn't approve of? And, of course, the Bible answers that question unequivocally, yes. He used, uh, he used Satan for the sanctification of Job. Does God approve of Satan? Of course not. But he used Satan for his purposes. He used the crucifixion of his own son. For our salvation. Does he approve of the murder of his own son by sinful men? No. But he did appoint it for our salvation. Yes, he did. 
What did he say? God works all things for good for those who love him and called and are called according to his purpose. Did he mean all things but this? No. He meant all things. So I thank God today that he's in control of even difficult circumstances like this that we face today. And he forces them to serve our everlasting good. So we don't get hope and peace and comfort in these kinds of situations from pushing God out of the picture. No, in fact, we want him right here in the midst of this. We want him right here with us today. So where do we find peace in moments like this? Well, Jesus and Paul leave us with no doubt as to the answer of that question. You know, whatever unanswered questions that you brought here today, there is a clear answer to that question, and I want us to just attend to it for just a few moments uh, today. So before we read God's Word, let's pray and ask Him to help us, ask Him to bless us. Let's pray. Oh God, open our eyes so that we may behold wonderful things from your word, even in this difficult time. Elicit from us gratitude and praise and joy and give us hope and peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the word of God. I ask you to hear it. Uh, John sixteen thirty three. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then if you'll just turn over to Second Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll look at just two verses there, verses 16 and 18. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and errant word. May he write its eternal truths on our hearts. Now, what we learn in these two passages is the way that God gives us peace. You know, what's the answer to our question of how we can find peace in these moments? How can we find peace as we contemplate this loss of a husband, a father, a grandfather, friend? And the answer is that Jesus gives us peace through truth, through presence, and through grace. That's how you get peace in every circumstance, through truth, presence, and grace. Now, I want to go through those, but before I do, let me just say very briefly what peace is in the Bible and what peace is not. First of all, peace does not mean an absence of problems. Peace doesn't mean a lack of difficult circumstances. 
It doesn't even mean a cessation of hostility. Remember what Jesus said there in John 16, 33. In the world you will have tribulation. So Jesus is not saying to Christians, if you trust me, you won't have any problems in, you, in this life. Jesus never, ever promised us that. You know, there are some people who try to get peace in this circumstance by saying, if we would just have enough faith, everything would be all right. But God does not say that all things are good. He says all things work together for good. The promise of peace is not a promise that everything is always going to be good. In other words, it's not a promise for good circumstances. Instead, the promise of peace is that God is working for your total well-being in any and every circumstance, including this one. Have you ever had someone greet you with the Hebrew word shalom? It means peace. You know, that's a blessing of God, of peace, which God commanded Moses to command Aaron, to command all the priests to pronounce on all his people. You, you remember how the blessing goes. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you what? Peace. You know, that is a very, very inclusive blessing. It's a blessing of God's total well-being for you in any and every circumstance of your life. It's not a promise that every circumstance of your life will be cheerful and good and happy. It's a promise that even in the, in the worst situations of life, God is working for your total well-being. And that's a very encouraging thought, I think, for us to consider today. You know, the 20th century author, Frederick Buchner, he pictures Jesus saying these words to his disciples. Here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. But do not be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. I am next to you. I'm with you. I love you. Dear ones, that is peace at work in every circumstance. And that's the promise of peace that we're given with this word peace in the Bible. Not that our conditions are always going to be good. They won't. But that God's purposes for us in every condition are his activity for our total well-being. And we need to remember that today. That is, that's absolutely something to celebrate. Now, how do we get that? How do you get that kind of peace in each and every circumstance? Well, as our text says, you get it in three ways. You get it through truth, you get it through presence, and you get it through grace. So let's just look at each of those. First, truth. You know, what does Jesus say in John 16, 33? Well, think how he starts out. 
Remember, John 16.33 happens in the upper room the night Jesus was going to be betrayed, illegally tried, and the next day he was going to be crucified. And do you know what Jesus' big concern was that night? His big concern was not what was going to happen to him. It was that his disciples were troubled. They were discouraged. And so what does he start out saying? Now, sneak a peek, you know, a few chapters back to John 14.1. What he starts out saying to them that night in the upper room after he had the Lord's Supper with them is, let not your hearts be troubled. Isn't that timely for us right now? Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, how does he tell them to get there? What's the next thing he says in John 14.1? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In other words, Jesus is telling his disciples that the answer to their troubled hearts is truth. The truth of who God is. The truth of who he is. And if you will believe God, if you will believe me, he says, you'll find the answer to your troubled hearts. And then at the, it's so interesting, at the end of that long conversation, in chapters 14, 15, and 16, in the verse that I read, John 16, 33, notice what he says to his followers. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? The things he taught them that night were so that they would have peace. And that peace was not an absence of tribulation. In fact, the very next thing he says in that verse, verse 33, is, In the world you will have tribulation. But the truth he had taught them that night was designed to give them peace. It was designed to give them total well-being even in the difficulties that they were going to experience in the world. Remember this, friends. Jesus was not caught off guard by Jim's passing on February the 23rd. I think most of us were caught off guard. Those who knew and loved Jim best were caught off guard by this. But Jesus was not. And your peace is not dependent on you not being surprised by this. Your peace is dependent upon a Jesus who knew this before the foundation of the world. And he promises he can give you peace even in this. Just believe him. You know, every Lord's Day morning, when we come to hear our pastor preach the truth of the Bible to us, do you know what Jesus is doing He's preparing us for moments such as these with truth. That's why we need to be under the Word together. That's why we need to be in the Word together. Because that truth is preparing us for moments like this. So the first way you get peace is through truth. The second is through presence. 
You know, listen again to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Now what Paul is saying here is that you get peace through Jesus' presence. You know, when Paul uses that term, Lord, he's talking about Jesus. And he's saying here that Jesus' presence in your life gives you the peace that only he can give in every and all circumstances. You know, that's why Horatio Spafford, the writer of that great hymn, after losing his children when their ship sank during an Atlantic crossing, he could still write, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like, like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Why? You know, not because of Horatio Spafford's circumstances. They were hopeless. But because of the presence of the Lord of peace in his life. You know, this... Uh, This presence of Jesus is something Paul knew a little bit about. If you look at 2 Timothy 4.16, that verse recounts Paul's experience when he was brought before the Supreme Court of the Roman Empire. You know, if you recall, he'd been arrested. He'd been taken as a prisoner, and for for many months he'd been on this long, long journey towards Rome where he was going to be tried in the highest court of the Roman Empire. And it had been his prayer, ever since he was arrested, that he would be able to give witness to Christ in that courtroom in Rome. In 2 Timothy 4.16, he says that when that day finally came, For him to do that, to give this testimony, he says he was completely alone. No one came to stand by me, he says, but all deserted me. No one stood with him in that courtroom. No friends, no family, no fellow Christians, no no fellow ministers. Paul was absolutely alone. But actually he wasn't. Because in the very next verse, he says, But the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me. You know, I think 2 Timothy 4.16 is one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Paul, the greatest missionary ever, was completely alone when he was giving the greatest testimony to Jesus of his entire life in the shadow of Nero's palace in Rome. You know, when we get to heaven, no Christian other than Paul will be able to to describe to us what happened that day. Unless somebody got converted in the courtroom because no Christians were with him. He was alone. And yet he says to Timothy that the Lord was with him. The Lord stood with him. The Lord strengthened him. In other words, Paul is saying, I had peace in that moment because I knew the presence of the Lord. You know, and this is, this is something that, that the people of God has, have always understood. 
You know, Jesus tells us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then the psalm that we read this morning or sang about, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. In the presence of the Lord of peace, that makes you able to have peace and to be unafraid, even in the valley of the shadow of death. And so God can give you peace over your trials, over your problems, through his word and through the presence of Jesus. How do we get peace? Through truth and through presence. But ultimately, we get peace in these circumstances by grace. Look at the last thing Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 18. Now, apparently, Paul writes this closing blessing with his own hand. You know, that's what verse 17 says. He takes the stylus from the hand of the amanuensis, his secretary, to whom he's been dictating, and he dips it in the ink, and he writes in his own hand, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. You know, and with this blessing, Paul is reminding us that there can be no peace without God's grace. You know, all of us want peace. I want peace. You want peace. We crave it. Uh, But let's be honest for just a minute. None of us deserve peace. You know, for those of you who are here this morning or this afternoon who are members of Desert Springs Presbyterian Church, before you could join this church, you had to acknowledge that you were not a good person. We don't allow good people to join Desert Springs Presbyterian Church. The first thing that you had to acknowledge when you joined this church was, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner? in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope saving His sovereign mercy. You see, that's what Jim and Claire acknowledged when they joined this church. She says 18 years ago, I think it was 17, but what's the difference? But they both said that. Uh, To join this church, you have to acknowledge that you do not deserve God's mercy. You don't deserve God's peace. Well, then how do you, how do we get God's peace? God's peace is always a gift of His grace. In order to have peace with God, in order to have peace in every circumstance, you have to have God's grace. And how do we get that? We get that by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation as he is offered in the gospel. Then God's forgiving favor, his grace, and the peace which passes understanding is poured out on us, though undeserving, in the extravagantly expensive gift of his son Jesus Christ who died in our place, that we might be forgiven, who experienced a complete loss of his peace, that we might have peace, 
You know, Jesus is the only human being who ever, uh, who ever lived who deserved peace. And one day on the cross, he gave up that peace so that you and I could have a peace that we don't deserve. That's how much he loves us. You know, he said to his father, I want to take their place. His father said, son, they don't deserve peace. Jesus said, I know that's true, but I want to take their place. I want to give up my peace so that they might have peace. We need to ponder that. Now, we need to think deeply about that, about that great transaction that took place in heaven between God the Father and God the Son in our behalf. You know, no wonder, no wonder that Isaiah called Jesus the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace gave up his peace that you and I might have a peace we don't deserve. Dear ones, that's grace. The Apostle John and the Apostle Paul are saying to the disciples in their day, they're saying to us assembled here today, if you want to have peace in every circumstance, you need three things. You need the truth of God, and you need to believe it. You need the presence of Jesus, and you need to know it. And you need the grace of God, and you need to trust in Jesus as he has offered in the gospel. You know, another membership vow all members of this church affirm is, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God? and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? And many of us in this room heard Claire and Jim Miller many years ago in the year 2000 affirm that vow. God is working all things for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That's why we have hope here today. That's why Jesus is our peace, and that's why this family and their friends can have peace in this tribulation, in this very difficult moment. Because Jesus has said this, Take heart, I have overcome the world. Dear ones, believe it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the hope you give us in situations which only offer us hopelessness. If all we had in this world were the circumstances, we would have nothing in our hands. But you have given us a peace that defies circumstances. You have given us a peace that passes understanding. And you have given us that in the expensive gift of your Son. Grant that we would believe on him and receive the gift of that peace and the gift of eternal life. For we ask it in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen.